All right, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. When Carolyn announced earlier this year that we were spending um, the year beholding Christ, I just that really just resonated with me. I was, I'm really excited about that because last year we looked at the character of God based on the fact that he is love. And we had an opportunity last year to meet various aspects of Father God, in particular, that he's our Father. And this year, we're going to be looking at and beholding Jesus. So some of you will know I've selected the first chapter of John to talk about. And um, I'm in love with the first 18 verses, but I'm actually not going to talk about the first 18 verses, but I'd really like to. Um, there's so much depth there that it would kind of take a year to kind of drill down into all those wonderful words in the first 18 verses. But I am going to refer to verse 18 to begin with. And it says this. No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son, who is in intimate relationship with the Father, has made him known. So what we know this year as we encounter Jesus, we know that he is constantly revealing the Father. He himself said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. So the more we understand about Jesus, the further in we glimpse of the Father. But what we don't want to do this year is just accumulate more knowledge about Jesus. What we want to do is to transfer that knowledge into intimacy. So in this chapter, there's two, in this verse rather, there's two things. One is the constant revealing of the Father by the Son, and the other one is an open invitation to be a part of that intimacy. And so as we travel through the year, if we're looking for those things, that's when we're going to behold the Christ. So I wanted to start, um, verse 19 is when John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, if you don't like to think that John was a Baptist, a member of the Baptist church, then you can say John the Baptizer, <laughs> which he was, John the Baptizer. And um, there are a couple of verses I'd like to read out to you before we start digging into verse 19. And it's just what was said about John and what he said about himself in those first 18 verses. So in verse 6 it says this, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light in every man, to every man, was made through, was coming into the world. John testifies, verse 15, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, 
This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John saying, This Messiah existed before I did. He was before I was. He is before I am. And this is John, John's testimony and his witness. So if we look at verse 19, what we see is the religious leaders have got a delegation and they've gone to John. They've gone to John to say, who are you? So why are they wanting to know who John is? It's because he's caused a bit of a kerfuffle. We've got 400 years since the end of the Old Testament and then John appears. He's created a kerfuffle because he has disciples. People are following him. He's baptising people in water and they are repenting of their sin. They are confessing their sins. So they come and they say to John, who are you? He answers in the negative. He says, well, I'm not the Christ. I mean, who does that? If someone asks you who you are, you don't say who you're not. Unless you suspect that they are thinking you are someone. So John is making it very clear that he is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. So they say, well, are you Elijah? No. Are you a prophet? No. And they're suspecting this because of his large following. So they say, who are you then? And he says this, a direct quote from Isaiah 40, he says this, I am the voice. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Israel was spiritually dry. It was a wilderness. It was a desert. And in comes John crying in the wilderness and he's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his way straight. Make his path straight. And that's a direct reference to the logistical team who always went out ahead of royalty, VIPs, to make sure the road was good, to make sure when they came into different towns and villages that they were welcome. That was preparing the way. That's what they did. So he is saying, I am the voice crying out in the spiritual wilderness, prepare the way the Messiah is coming. Now when I read that in the context of what we're doing in church this year, I said to Jesus, I've been praying, Jesus, what can I do? to prepare the way for you. What can I do to prepare the way for you in my heart? Because I want to behold you. And Jesus, I want to acknowledge you that the spiritual dryness in my life, and I want to behold you, what can I do? So Jesus has been telling me a few things I can do. And I wanted to ask you to join me in that prayer in your own quiet time. Just ask him, what can I do, Jesus, to prepare my heart to encounter you this year? 
And um, this, is, this is day one. John chapter 1 from verse 19 onwards has four days. This is day one. The delegation going to John and he's declaring, prepare the way. So I want to prepare my heart to have everything, every time someone gets up here, our meals that we're going to have together, I want, I want to be open to encountering Jesus this year, more so than ever in my whole life. Let's put it that way. I'm sincere when I say that. So if we have a look at day two, we can put that one up on the overhead. So it says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've read that and I've just thought, yeah, you know, John's saying, yeah, there's the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world, I know that. But if you think about the context of history, it's actually the most audacious statement that John could make about Jesus. Here comes the Lamb of God. What lambs did they know about? They knew about the little lambs running around that were the sacrificial lambs. Those lambs were sacrificed. He's pointing at Jesus saying, there's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And then he says, who takes away, that word means removes, carried off, eradicates. Sacrificial lambs never got rid of sin, they only covered it over. He's saying, takes away the sin of the world. Before that, it was just an individual, maybe a family. I don't know enough to say too much about that. But the world, it's an audacious, bold statement. There's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who removes sin. For the world. Amazing statement. And I just think, did John know what the heck he was talking about? Did Jesus know what he was talking about? Maybe no one knew what he was talking about, but he said it anyway. It's a prophecy. We have the next overhead. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. I'll tell you what I like about those verses. This is what I like about them. This is what I like the most about these verses. John, in 
the two verses there, 33 and 34, has included the Godhead. He's included the Godhead. We go to the next um, thing I will have in bold. Father, the one who sent me, the Holy Spirit and the Son. It just underscores to me they're all in on this. This is from the heart of the Trinity, that Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away our sin. So, if we're going to behold Jesus this year, we've already seen three things just in what John says. You want to go to the next over here. Jesus as the Lamb. Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus as the Son of God. So I look at those and I say this, Jesus, have I really seen you as the Lamb of God? Have I really seen you as that? Have I really seen you as the Lamb who has taken my sin? You know, we read in Revelation, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honour and wisdom and strength and praise, you know, all those words. And, and it goes on to say, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be glory and praise and honour forever and ever. Jesus, have I encountered you as that Lamb? Jesus, have I encountered you as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? And all that that means. Have you met me in that place where the Holy Spirit has come in and energised me and given me power and authority to carry out your work? Jesus, have I really met you as the Son? Have I seen you as the Son of God? So we look at that and we know we behold Jesus. There's another side to that coin we see over the next two days. One side of the coin, we behold Jesus. The other side of the coin, Jesus beholds us. So let's have a look at day three. Yeah, day three. Yeah, so he says that again, see the Lamb of God. So there were two disciples with him when he said that. One was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. So these guys hear John say that, so they follow. They follow Jesus and they spend the day with him. So Andrew can't wait to get back to see his brother and tell his brother. So um, is that the next over here? Yep, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Now, don't forget, these guys are disciples of John the Baptist. They've been hearing stuff about the Messiah. 
The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Then he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him. He looked at him. In the Greek, the word means to look with your mind, to look with discernment. He looked at him and he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter. The rock. You will be called the rock. Now, last week when Carol was talking about the transfiguration, what did Peter do? He wanted to build some accommodation. So Moses, Elijah and Jesus and the other disciples who were there, they all hang, keep hanging out. Why did he propose that? Because he was scared. And he didn't know what else to do. So he makes that suggestion. Not very rock-like. And we see prior to that, actually, um, I think I've got it, Matthew 16. Yeah. Um, prior to that, he has this encounter with Jesus. And in response to Jesus saying, who do, you, who do you say I am? He says, Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replies, notice he calls him Simon. Simon, you are blessed. The reason you're blessed is Father God has told you something. You haven't kind of got this from anywhere else. But God has spoken into your heart. This is a revelation from my Father speaking to you. He has told you that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he says, and then he calls him Peter. He says, Peter, you're a rock. And just as you've received that revelation about who I am, that's, and he starts to talk in dual thing about who Peter is, but also who the church is. Because of that, on that revelation, I'm going to build my church. And that revelation will never be defeated. The gates of hell will never overcome that revelation of who I am. And he goes on to talk more to Peter. And he says to Peter, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. What you bind and loose in heaven, on earth will be bound and loosed in heaven. What an encouragement to Peter. Because he's very he's not very often rock-like. But here he is. He's rock-like here. But not for long. Because then he has the next overhead encounter where Jesus said, says to him then, you know, I've got to suffer, I've got to die. And Peter says, no way. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So he's gone from being a rock star to dust. And I loved it when we sang that song. He makes beautiful things out of the dust. Yeah? Yeah?
as we know, Peter went on and um, you know denied Christ three times. Not very wrong, like. But when he met Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, things changed for Peter. Then he really became a rock star. When I was reading this, I was, I was wondering in his humanity, you know, when Jesus said to him, you're a rock. I wonder if he was kind of like, hey, I'm a rock. <laughs> like it would be natural, wouldn't it, to say, I'm a rock. <laughs> I'm a, actually kind of a bit of a rock star, really. Jesus told me that. Actually, I think I was with you, Jill. We were doing, you know, some stuff together. And I, um, I felt that God, you know, God spoke to me and, um, and said to me, Cheryl, what I really like about you is that you don't get wound up. You don't get wound up. You don't get anxious. You're, you know, fairly cool, fairly even. I'm a rock, right? Ask. No, don't. Am I always like that? Of course. Don't ask my husband. He will lie about that. Just believe me. You know, all of us have the capacity to go from the rock to the dust. It's very human. And don't we have these experiences where we feel God is really speaking to us or using us in some way? And then maybe five minutes later, we're doing or saying something quite stupid and out of place. We all do this. And it's good to see it in the scriptures. So we come to day four. And um, this is where Jesus meets Nathaniel. So the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him. Now don't forget the context. These guys are disciples of John. They know about the Messiah. Prepare the way. They've heard it over and over. So Philip says, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote. In other words, they're saying, We found the Messiah. And he's saying it's Jesus of Nazareth. In my mind, if I'm in this context and you know I'm being good about it, I'd, I'd be saying, what? You met, you know who the Messiah is? How did that happen? Tell me about it. Are you joking? Are you for real? This is kind of what you'd, you'd be focusing on the Messiah part of it. Nathaniel focuses on the Nazareth part of it and says cynically and sarcastically, Nazareth, would anything good come out of Nazareth? We had the same reaction when we decided to move the church to Port Gembla. Not the people in the church, but outside the church. What? Going to Port Kembla? 
What are you doing that for? Huh? We were happy about it. We, we knew God was leading us here. It's the same cynical response that Nathaniel had. Not focusing on the news about, who the, about the Messiah, but about Nazareth. And I read a bit about Nazareth. They had a bit of a checkered history. It was a bit of a hole. The Romans went in there a few times and killed everyone. So it's, you wouldn't want to brag that you came from Nazareth. Kind of had a bad feeling about it. Yeah. So, then, what have we got? Oh, yeah, Philip with wisdom said, Well, come and see for yourself. Come and have a check it out yourself. When Jesus saw, saw Nathaniel, it's a different Greek word, but it's the same thing. It means looking with discernment. It has the phrase of turn your eyes, look. When Jesus saw Nathanael, he said, He is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In whom there is no deceit, there's nothing false. It's true. And when he reacted the way he did, he re when he said Nazareth, He's plain speaking. He says exactly what he thinks. He's got no hidden agendas. But it's unredeemed. It's unloving. It's dust. But Jesus calls him into being a rock. Now when you think about that, like Peter gets, you know, the name up in lights, the rock. Nathaniel gets, there's no deceit in you. Doesn't sound very fancy. So what it tells me about Jesus, there's things about each of us that he really loves. There's things about us that he really loves. And when I was praying about this service, I kind of saw this picture of Jesus and Father God together. And they were looking at someone in the church, I don't know who it was, but it was a woman, of course. I know it wasn't me, because this is what they were saying. See her, see how kind she is. I knew straight away it wasn't me. See how kind she is? I love that about her. Don't you, Father God? Don't you love that about her? And Father God says, I love that about her because she reflects our character. And being kind doesn't put you up in the headlines. Having an open heart, not holding deceit or falseness in you, doesn't put you in the headlines. The headlines, the highlights, whatever it is. But it puts you on Jesus' radar where he sees you. And of course, Nathaniel said, um, yeah, I love this. Jesus says that. There's nothing false in you. And um, Nathaniel accepts it. Said, yeah, how did you know me? How did you know that about me? Like he's unredeemed. He's sarcastic and cynical, but he speaks the truth. And I wonder how he went on. 
I've searched the scriptures, there's nothing much about Nathaniel. Some say he was Bartholomew. There's a bit of controversy about that. I'll tell you how Bartholomew died. It's a bit gruesome. They cut his skin into strips and reefed it off him. I just had to tell you that. It was a bit of trivia. <laughs> but, yeah. Then I looked up how all the other disciples died. It was gruesome. I'd rather stay on the nice side. <laughs> so I wonder how Nathaniel went from there. You know, what was his role among the disciples? I guarantee it was he spoke the truth. He said exactly what he thought, and hopefully as he went on, it became more and more redeemed, more and more honest in a loving way. And I, I just think that's amazing what God has done there. And in, incidentally, if you read on my way, um, Jesus said, oh, he goes on to say, um, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you, there's that word again, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says, you're saying that because I said I saw you under a fig tree? And then, he, just like with Peter, he goes on and he says, I'm telling you, Nathaniel, you're going to see amazing things. You're going to see amazing things. You're going to see angels. You're going to see glory. And this is our Jesus. <coughs> So when we behold Jesus, we have to remember he is beholding us. The two go together. The more we behold him, the more we can accept what he sees in us because we know it's founded and based on his love for us. So I'm just going to close in prayer. I think I'll pray slowly so you don't have time to think what I'm doing. So Jesus, we come to you. Jesus, our desire is to behold you this year. Not so that we know things about you, but so that that knowledge will draw us into an intimacy with you the Father and the Holy Spirit that we have not yet experienced. Jesus, what can we do to prepare the way for you? Would you speak to us, Jesus? What can we do? Jesus, would you help us to see you as the Lamb who took away our sin, removed it forever so that it no longer exists, the precious Lamb of God. Jesus, help us to behold you as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That you will give us the power and authority to carry out your work here. Jesus, would you help us 
behold you as the Son of God. You are our brother. And everything that that means, Jesus, would you take us on a journey to see you as the Son? Jesus, we thank you that you see us. That you speak well of us. That you say things about us to the Father. About how good we are. About how we reflect your own character. And in doing that, we give you joy and pleasure. And we also give you glory. So Jesus, as this year keeps going, would you help us to be prayerful, to pursue you, and would you show us, Jesus, as individuals, the things that you love the most about us? Amen.